Hey there, thoughtful listener. Would you like consistent and predictable sales activity with no spam and no ads? I'll teach you step by step how to do this, particularly if you're an agency owner, consultant, coach, or B2B service provider. What I teach has worked for me for more than 15 years and has helped me create more than $10 million in revenue. Just head to upmyinfluence.com and watch my free class on how to create endless high-ticket sales appointments. You can even chat with me live and I'll see and reply to your messages. Also, don't forget, the Thoughtful Entrepreneur is always looking for guests. Go to upmyinfluence.com and click on podcast. We'd love to have you. With us right now, it's Mike Domish. Mike, you are a professional speaker. You're the president author uh, of, uh, you're an author as well, and you're the president of the Center for Respect. You're found on the web at centerforrespect.com. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So what does the Center for Respect do? Yeah, we work with everything from middle schools, high schools, universities, U.S. military all over the world, and corporations and businesses on creating a culture of respect. And that can mean different things with each of those different groups, like middle schools, high schools, universities. We're talking about sexual respect. Corporations, we're talking about a foundation of respect, how we treat each other in our day-to-day interactions. Yeah, and and I was just saying before we uh, hit record, um, it feels like right now the uh, man there are a lot of voices out there that are sowing a lot of discontent and they make a lot of money in sowing that discontent um that's just my observation um yep. and so i think that it's hard to expose yourself to a lot of us versus them language and then come to work or be a part of an organization or be involved in a community where there is a diversity of thought and idea and background mm-hmm. and so forth. And it's, it, we're, so Mike, I, I, I share that in, I think you're, you got your work cut out for you. I think there are a lot of people. And again, I don't know that I'm properly um, kind of identifying some issues, but what, what's your observation in terms of like where we are culturally in the United States in particular? Yeah. So here's the problem that occurs, especially in the us versus them. It's I'm right and you're wrong. And as long as we're doing that, you're probably not treating me with respect. You're treating me with judgment. And there's a huge difference in those two concepts. So one of the biggest mistakes that we teach people to do in this world, and I don't mean we as in us, I mean, the, the culture as a whole does this, unfortunately. We believe in the opposite of what I'm about to say, but you can fill in the blank here, Josh. Hey, respect is not given. Respect is earned. Horrible message. Yeah. Because the moment you say to somebody, you have to earn my respect. This is a power game. This is all a power game. I have to do something to be of value to you. And people get defensive about them. Well, they do have to do something. Why? They're a human being. And by the way, your organization hired them because they saw them as value. So you should be treating them as a valued human being. And when you ask people, what does it mean to be disrespected? They see to be to not be seen, to not be heard, to not matter, to be invisible. Right? Those are horrific words to feel as a human being. And in the workplace, you really don't want to be feeling those feelings. So what does it feel like to be respected? To be valued and seen for exactly who I am 
not just my potential. Now, why I love that is most people go, well, see the best in everybody. And it implies only their best is worthy of treating them Mm -hmm. with respect. No, just see them for who they are and treat them with respect. They have different beliefs in you. Respect the fact you have differences. It doesn't mean you agree with their differences. It doesn't mean you admire their differences, but respect the fact there are differences and they have the right to that. We believe in freedom, right? So they have the they have the right to those differences as you do. And so this leads to the second part of this. It's critical. Lead with curiosity. And we talk about this all the time, Josh. People go, how could they think that way? How about if you had asked it this way? Huh, I wonder how they could think that way. That gets me thinking curiously how, where they're coming from versus how dare they. How dare they never guess us anywhere. So it lead with that curiosity can make a huge, huge difference. Um, and Mike, how did you get into this role? And, and you started this, I don't know if it's what you were doing back then is the same as what you're doing now or today, but it, it it's almost like, uh, I mean, what I would say is your message today uh, couldn't be more valuable uh, in, in a world where I think there, unfortunately, is uh, my observation, is it the social media? You know, I, oh, well, let me just forget that question. How is social media impacting your work today? That is the, that's the thousand pound gorilla I need to ask you about. Well, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of answers to that question. First of all, social media puts us in bubbles, right? And if anybody has seen the, the social media documentary, Social Dilemma, I think is the name of it, on Netflix, it shows precisely how algorithms are built to make sure we keep seeing things that entice us. So we see the things we already want to see. What that means is that puts us in a bubble. And it means it just solidifies our beliefs and never exposes us to other beliefs. The danger of that is it goes back to us versus them, and it actually feeds off that. And so it can be incredibly dangerous is what it can be because it's bubble thought versus, hey, curiosity of how other people think and That's number one problem. Number two, as we all know, people say things on social media, they would never say face to face. Never. Which is usually when they're doing it, complete lack of understanding that this person on the other side of this is a human being who I need to treat with dignity and respect. And I'm going to people going, well, what if they don't treat me with dignity and respect? So you still do because that's who you are. I don't stop treating Josh with respect because he says something that disrespected me. Because if I start treating Josh with disrespect, that means I am somebody who disregards people. And that's not who I am. So disrespect me all you want. I'm treating you with respect. And by the way, if you are somebody who's like, well, get back at someone. You want to get back at someone? Treat them with kindness when they want you to be mad at them. Yeah. If you want to, you know, if you want to take that view, I don't believe in approaching it that way. But still, it's the, it's going to be true. They're going to be more aggravated if you're kind and respectful, ironically. Yeah. Your anger so, doesn't, yeah, your anger doesn't have any power here, boy. <laughs> yes, exactly. But let's go back to your original question because you started to ask, yeah, hey, yeah. Mike, how did you get into this and sort of where has it gotten to today? Yes. And how relevant it is today. Look, nobody grows up in the 1970s and 80s thinking, I'm, I'm going to be a speaker on respect. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't even a concept that could come to my brain. And at 19, I received a phone call that the youngest of my older sisters was raped. And that rocked my world, not for days, not for weeks. It rocked it for months. And then I finally realized after I heard a speaker, I was in college at the time, wait, I can do something about this. I can use my voice. 
And so at 2021, I started speaking out. So that's when I started doing this work. That's 33 years ago when I started speaking out. And yes, did it look different than it does today? Yeah, but here's the wild part, Josh. People would say to me, well, students will listen to you now because you look like them. But nobody's going to listen to you when you're 30. And then when I got to 30, they'd say, well, they're still listening to you because you're not too old. But when you get to 40, no one's going to be listening to you. Now, the wild part of the part about that, Josh, is along this journey is exactly what you just said. Wow, now more than ever is what people have been telling me every decade. So it's fascinating that this topic keeps rearing itself, showing itself. And the reason why is because nobody's actually addressing the foundational issues. They're just putting Band-Aids on it when it pops up. Yeah. Me Too is a great example of this. The whole country paid attention for two years at most, at most, and then acted like that wasn't a real history that had occurred once it got out of the news. It's still happening in companies, but how many are addressing it? They're doing the bare minimum. They're doing the legalese, check the box, we addressed harassment in the workplace, and then wondering why they don't have an amazing culture in their, in their organization. Mike, today you work um, you work with schools, including colleges, universities. You've done work with the military, which I'd love to ask you about. And then, of course, you do work um, in in the workplaces. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit more about like? Um, well, I, I'm really curious, obviously, because my military background. Um, what have you done with uh, you know with with folks wearing the uniform? Yeah, so that's some of my greatest work that I love doing is with the U.S. military, and I literally been on four continents on this planet because of the US military. They, they send me where if we have a large enough installation there, there's a good chance I've been there uh, in the world speaking for the military. And here's why. What they recognized in the mid 2000s, around 2005, 2006, a couple of the services started to recognize, hey, our approach to this is not proactive enough. Yeah. And they looked at universities and said, who are the universities using that are really proactive and skills-based? And they came to me and said, can you make this work for the military? And I said, yeah, let's look at the culture. And so I just dove in learning the culture. And the difference I added was, as you know, people get married in the military way younger than they do if they're not in the military. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah so. I got married. Let's see. I was, no, I had just, I had just exited, but I was 23. My wife was 20. <laughs> right, right. And so if I'm speaking at a college, almost no one's married. No, right. But the same age group, 18 to 22 in the U.S. military, half the room might be married right? A third of the room might be married or already divorced between 18 and 22. Uh, so what I did is I said, hey, what if I bring marriage into this and discuss both the single life and the married life? And they're like, hey, nobody's really doing that in this realm. And so that helped us really differentiate ourselves because we were bringing everyone into the conversation, not just the 18-year-old. We're bringing the 55-year-old who'd been married 30 years. Suddenly they're like, oh, he's discussing things about my life. And that's what allowed us to do a lot of work with the military on building wonderful relationships, not just telling them what not to do. A lot of the military, as you know, they're constantly being told around this topic, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, and right. you're just sitting there going, Am I, is this what I got to hear again for the 20th time in a row? And then they let us come in and go, well, what would it look like if you were achieving what you wanted in a relationship? What does positive, healthy sexuality look like? And they're like, whoa, what? this isn't death by PowerPoint. And that's what allowed us to really change the conversation. You know, I was even shocked. Um, you know, I served uh, 1990 to 95. And um, many, many years later, so this was back in 2016, um, I got to interview Boo Corrigan, who at the time was the athletic director at West Point. And I asked him about 
leadership and kind of the traits that that West Point looks to instill in in their leaders. And um, he said that one of the three, so he said leadership, character, and the third one, and this blew my mind, empathy. Yep. And, and it's like, all of a sudden, the rest of my interview was like, well, I just threw that in the garbage. I'm like, what did you just say? Okay, you're the athletic director at West Point, and you're talking about empathy? Empathy? In the military? That was a foreign concept. You know, it was just, you know, very, I'd say in my time, it was, you know, still very kind of binary, black and white, kind of like you do the job and there's no discussion about it. Whereas, yeah. you know, I think his point was like, no, no, no. If you actually sit down and understand someone, understand why they're having a problem with something or understand what their challenges, you can help them overcome that, but you're not going to know that if you're just barking at them, you know? Yeah. You, well, here's the, here, absolutely, Josh. So I've worked with all the academies, including West Point. And the reason I found your story striking in alignment is I was once speaking to the PAC fleet for the Navy, Pacific fleet. And in this room was very high-level leaders. Admiral gets up and says, what's the key to great leadership? And people started yelling trust and command and confidence. And he said, empathy. And this was from a high-ranking admiral. He said, I've got to be able to look at every sailor's eyes when I walk by them and say, sailor, how are you doing today? And genuinely care. Not just act like I'm playing the part of the admiral. I need to genuinely care and listen and be there for them. That's what great leaders do. And what I love about that is people will look at my logo and it has three motions inside of it. And they say to me, Mike, what is your logo about? What does that mean? What well, actually has very intentional meaning. The first motion is empathy. So it's empathy, mutuality, and consistency. Empathy, I'm going to care about you mutuality, we're not going to do anything both of us don't want to do together. I'm not going to pressure you. You're not going to pressure me. And we're going to treat each other this way consistently. That's what's going to propel us forward. And so I'm a huge fan of the word empathy. I love you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, Mike, some of this listening to our conversation, they're in leadership with their company or they're a founder. And you're like, yeah, um, I don't know. What, what can, what can, what what kind of change or transformation can you help to create? Like, how might the leader recognize that there are some opportunities to improve their culture? Yeah, great question. So here's what we do. We look at the minuscule, subtle things all of us do, Josh, every day in the workplace that lead to forms of disrespect that we don't even recognize in the moment. Because what most people do in companies is they think, we don't have a sexual harassment problem yet. We don't have a, this issue yet, but what they're not recognizing is there's little seeds being planted all over the place that are about to grow and show these problems because you were never dealing with the ground, with the fertilization of the ground, the foundation of the organization. So here's an example. Does everybody in your place feel safe saying no to their superiors? Most people you talk to in the workplace say, I'm not comfortable saying no to my boss. Well, how respectful of an environment do you have? If you're afraid to say no to your boss, most people have never thought of that question when they think of respect. They think no one's being done harm to, right? That's an extreme end. What about the, do I feel safe to say yes or no? How about in the boardroom? Does everybody feel that they're safe expressing their views or do they fear judgment? Well, that's not a place of respect if I fear how you're going to look down on me if I say something you don't agree with. So do you interrupt conversations while they're happening in the workplace? Do you do something else while you're talking to somebody in the workplace so they don't matter enough to pause? 
We all do these things. And when you can have that conversation, you help everybody learn the little things they can do differently to dramatically, seismically shift the culture by everybody looking in the mirror going, I'm going to do better today. Because now it's not about the evil person who does the wrong in the workplace, which is what most people think of. And that's going back to me too. People went, oh, we don't have that evil monster in our company, so we're good. <laughs> but all of us make mistakes. So what if we could help us stop making mistakes that lead to disrespect every day? What would that do to the company culture? What would that do to retention? Can you imagine nobody wanted to leave because they felt valued every day they walk into work? Your company would have people lining at the doors to join because you'd have a culture no one would ever want to leave. Mike, when uh, when companies want to bring you in, what does that look like? What, what are the ways that they can engage with you and so you can help enact that change? Yeah, there's two most common ways people bring me in. One, they bring me in for a big conference, for a big you know annual summit for the company or the association, and they have me keynote, right? That, that's a very, very common. The second way is they bring me in for training, either leadership training, but it could be three to four hour training where we dive into, I call it the nine daily displays of disrespect. And we dive into those nine and then show you the nine daily choices for respect. So in each of those moments, instead of doing this, oh, what if I just chose that? And it gives them all actionable items they could do, but it's very interactive. So during three hours, they're writing down, oh, how do I do this? Oh, how, does, how do we see this show up in our organization? Now, what are actions I can take? So they're walking out with a game plan. And that's a more intensive workshop experience versus a keynote. Yeah. And you've, um, uh, here, here, I would love for you to share maybe a, a, just a quick little list of uh, folks that you've worked with that you can share, uh, like including universities. And would you mind just so, I mean, yeah, sure. I've seen so, a few logos here and there on your website, <laughs> but uh, what, what are some of the ones that you're most proud of or ones that you think might be interesting to someone listening to our conversation? Well, I mean, we, uh, let's go to universities, right? But well, what schools? Yeah. Princeton. Yes. Uh, you know, so Stanford, yes. You know, so we we work at some of the schools that are considered some of the most prestigious in the country. Look, for me, I'm going to be the commencement speaker at my alma mater. For me, that's as exciting as yeah. Princeton or Stanford, right? So it just depends on how you view it. Uh, when it comes to the military, every single service all over the world, including working at the Pentagon level and, and you know, have, sitting down in the Pentagon with, with leaders uh, and having these conversations. And then when it comes to companies, it really varies. I just worked with one of the largest mining companies there is, Kennecott. So if there's copper anywhere and a battery or anywhere, there's a good mm. chance it came from their mines, right? And it's and they brought us in. Now people go, what? That's a very blue collar industry, Mike. Yeah, because they care enough about their culture. It doesn't matter whether you're blue collar or white collar, is that you care enough about wanting to shift your culture to be stronger than it is today. And so it can be massive, mega international companies like that, or small manufacturing companies, you know, outside Chicago, an hour away from me, that we did a sat down and did a three-hour training, United Conveyor, uh, that we did a three-hour training with their senior leadership team. Yeah. Mike, your website is centerforrespect.com. When somebody goes there, what should they click on? What do they do? Particularly well, if they're, what they're gonna, yeah. What they're gonna see when they get there is they're gonna get to choose where they want to go because we have actual different sections for K-12, for military, for business. Pick your lane, go into it, see what's there. Let us know if you want us to help you. We'd be thrilled to. We have a contact us page. Scroll down to the bottom, you'll see all our social media. 
Josh, right now we're posting almost a video a day on social media. So if somebody wants to see what we do, click click the social media, look at our YouTube page, look at the shorts. You'll see corporate stuff on there. You'll see school stuff on there. You'll get a vibe for how I work with audiences because in the end, that's what matters to most people. Hey, is this person going to be able to engage our group? And the gift that I get is I've worked with every imaginable kind of audience there is in this world. So it's pretty hard to come up with a group that I haven't dealt with before and engaged with before. Yeah. All right. Mike Domish, again, Hall of Fame speaker, author, expert, and again, the uh, president of the Center for Respect. Your website, Mike, is centerforrespect.com. Mike Domish, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Josh, thank you so much for having me on and for all you do getting these voices out to the world. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. If you're a listener, I'd love to shout out your business to our whole audience for free. You can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or join our listener Facebook group. Just search for The Thoughtful Entrepreneur in Facebook. I'd love even if you just stopped by to say hi. I'd love to meet you. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. We love our community who listens and shares our program every day. Together, we are empowering one another as thoughtful entrepreneurs. Hit subscribe so that tomorrow morning, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you for around 15 minutes each day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement.